0: Thank you, Madam Secretary. We will now move to member questions. I remind members that uh, you will have five minutes uh, for questions. We will start with the majority and alternate from one side of the dais to the other. I now recognize the gentleman from Colorado, Mr. Lamborn, for five minutes.
1: Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you for having this hearing. Uh, Madam Secretary, it's good to see you again. I remember when you used to sit right over there and uh, we had some good discussions. Uh, Let me ask you about a Ninth Circuit case, and then I want to ask you about forestry. In the Ninth Circuit case, Center for Biological Diversity versus Bernhardt, the litigants argued, quote, if oil is produced from a project, the total supply of oil in the world will rise. Increasing global supply will reduce prices. Now, they go on to say once prices drop, foreign consumers will buy and consume more oil. So that part of the situation they don't like, but they do like. They do recognize that more supply leads to lower prices. Uh, this citation was used against your department in the 2022 district court case opposing lease sale 257. Um, both the Center for Biological Diversity as well as Friends of the Earth have said in their briefs that increasing oil supply will lower energy costs. Do you agree or disagree with groups like that when, or anyone, when they say that more energy, oil, and gas supply will lower costs.
2: Thank you very much, and it's uh, it's nice to see you, too, Mr. Lamborn. Thank you. Um, what I can say is that on federal lands, um, oil production is up. It's at an all-time high currently. And so we feel we're doing our job to move those permits forward, and um, there are over seven... Th- actually almost 7,000 permits available for drilling that haven't been used. Oil production is at an all-time high on federal lands.
1: Um, Now, let me take issue with that, Madam Secretary. Despite rhetoric from this administration and its Democratic members here in Congress, anti-energy and anti-human policies have increased the cost of energy. When President Biden promised to end fossil fuels, production immediately decreased as well as research, development, and exploratory spending. Uh, There's uncertainty that affects people's decision-making out there in the business world. So the result is this has reduced supply and raised prices. Uh, Even worse, this administration has doubled down on its unreliable renewable commitments, which rely on cycling natural gas to make up for periods when uh, renewables are not producing. This increases the cost of energy. Um, A lot of things here, let's get into it. Uh, Do you think that wind and solar are reliable enough or not reliable enough to provide baseload energy?
2: Thank you very much for the question, uh, Mr. Lamborn. And um, of course, we're working very hard on a transition to clean energy because we feel, well, of course, we want to reach the president's goals uh, for clean energy. Um, and and that will take some do, that will take some work so all of us are working on that. I, um, I want to reiterate the fact that that energy uh, oil production on federal lands is at an all-time high. there's many factors that go into what the cost of gasoline is and I certainly understand raising my child as a single mom uh, that things are difficult sometimes and uh, we're doing our part to help. Uh, reduce those energy costs by, by opening transition, transmission lines, by moving clean energy forward. I know that that can be very cost-effective, and um, we are going to, to work hard to get there.
1: Well, and I understand that you have long-term goals. I recognize that. But to reach those goals when certain measures of the administration reduce supply... And increase prices that has a human cost. Would, will you agree with me that uh, raising the cost of energy for the consumer out there, working families, single moms, everybody else, is causes a human has a human cost to it?
2: I recognize, um, Mr. Lamborn, that there are many factors that go into what the price of gas is, and. Um, for our part, the work that we are required to do in the Department of the Interior, leasing land issuing permits for these for the oil industry, oil production is at an all-time high on federal lands um, that's that there's more to it than that there, state and private lands also uh, produce oil and we don't have control over every single aspect of our energy, but for our part, we're doing our part. We're working hard. We're processing those permits. There are thousands of permits that haven't been used, and a lot goes into what the price of gasoline is. It's not just what the Department of the Interior is doing.
3: Thank you.
0: The gentleman yields back, and I recognize the gentlelady from California, Miss Napolitano, for five minutes.
4: Hello. Good to see you, Madam Secretary. <clears throat> I have a couple of questions, <clears throat> one deals with the Colorado River Basin, uh, it's crucial to invest in infrastructure in trench water because of the drought conditions in Southern California and all the six western states. Can you tell the committee how the budget cuts proposed by the House Republicans related to debt ceiling would impact f- funding for water infrastructure projects the community needs to uh, get through the challenge?
2: Congresswoman, thank you so much for the question. And yes, any budget cuts with respect to how we're managing this terrible drought in the West uh, will have a, a, a negative effect on, on the communities that we serve. Uh, I am um, proud to have uh, Deputy Secretary Baudreau with me today, who is who has been the lead on many of these issues with respect to the Colorado River. If you would like for him to um, to sort of answer um, more of the question in detail, I'd be happy to turn the mic over to Tommy.
5: Thanks very much. Um, the secretary is absolutely right, uh, especially in these times of unprecedented drought and the strain that's on the system. What is needed is further investment in the Colorado River system in order to provide greater Uh, water delivery capacity and efficiency. That's exactly what uh, the Bipartisan Infrastructure Law and the Inflation Reduction Act are helping accomplish. To move backwards by cutting our budget with respect to uh, Bureau of Reclamation and water delivery uh, has the potential to uh, severely impact the 40 million people who rely on that basin for fundamental uh, needs such as drinking water and agriculture.
4: The seven Western states... The other question I have is uh, on the uh, advanced large-scale water recycling projects uh, that I um, authored last year. Can you share an update on what progress has made so far? And when will the money start to go out? Will it be next year after the draft criteria is finalized? I, I beg your pardon, Congresswoman. Would you repeat the question, please? It's a, the new program that was started uh, in the last, inf- Bipartisan infrastructure law a new program to advance large water scale water recycling projects provide drought food supplies to the communities uh, The project uh, was the large water recycling project investment act. Thank you.
2: Yes. Th- thank you. So thank you so much for that And I know that um, water recycling we're using every tool in the toolbox of course and and know that everyone have, we all have to pitch in to make sure that these things work. Um, but with respect to the large-scale water recycling program, the notice of funding opportunity for the program was released on December twenty-third, 2022, uh, with applications being due on February 28, 2023. A funding opportunity to allocate bill funding for this program is expected in early June, so just in a couple of months from now. And uh, the fiscal year 23 bill spend plan for reclamation includes $50 million for projects to be allocated under this particular program.
4: When will the money start going out?
2: Uh, it looks like the funding up, op- the allocation will uh, start in early June, so in a few months.
4: Thank you very much. I yield back to Mr. Uh, uh, Grijalva, mem- the ranking member.
6: Uh, thank you, Mr. Napolitano. I just want to uh, ask for uh, unanimous consent to enter into the record uh, uh, on uh, the impression that was given that uh, the previous Congress did not uh, uh, do any, any oversight hearing or administration didn't participate. Uh, my consent request is that, to enter into the record a chart showing that when we were in the majority, Democrats in the last Congress, we called at least one administrative witness in one out of every three hearings that we had. That's uh, 17 different hearings. Uh, and asked unanimous consent to enter into the record a resolution from the Republicans that aims to cut funding to the Office of Inspector General by 20%, which is not what one does when they're really concerned about oversight. And uh, unanimous consent entered into the record a letter from the Fish and Wildlife Service in response to a document request from the Republicans. It's about a program meant to help employees with mental health and and stress-related, which cost uh, less than $12,000 for six workshops. This was the focal point of their oversight, so if the majority is serious about oversight, the evidence up to this point doesn't, uh, doesn't indicate that at all. And I yield back to the gentlelady. Without
0: objection, the gentlelady's time has expired. I now recognize the gentleman from California for five minutes, Mr. Lamborn. Excuse me, Mr. LaMalfa.
7: I'm the other, the other dog. Yeah. Yeah, Thank you. Thanks again, Mr. Chairman. And welcome, uh, Madam Secretary. Good to see you again. Good to always uh, have a chance to work and speak with you. Um, you A lot of conversation beginning about, you know, so-called clean energy and such, and I just wanted to ask right out of the chute, what, what is the basis for uh, CO2 levels that uh, the department is working off of? What percent of our atmosphere is CO2 at this point that uh, so, much, so many decisions are be based upon?
2: Congressman, thank you so much for the question. And um, of course, our, uh, so much of the work we do is based on science. Um, I am more than happy to have the U.S. Geological Survey or uh, another such um, bureau get with you on those specific levels.
7: On, on the current CO2 level of our atmosphere?
2: I, I don't have that current CO2 okay. level with me, but we are happy to follow up on that specific question with your staff as soon as... Okay.
7: Thank you, Thank you Madam Secretary. Let me shift gears to the Klamath Basin course, something we've had quite a bit of conversation about and the uh, water usage up there, you know, the Klamath project was created over a hundred years ago for agriculture in that basin and such. And it's been a lot of dispute, especially in, especially in recent years, over what the allocation is gonna be between that and uh, flushing down the stream for fish or what's kept in the lake for uh, sucker fish. Um, now, a lot of the data, for what the lake level should be was based uh, in a period between 1904 and 1912, when the the it was the wettest period in in recorded uh, history on on the the level of the basin. So it would seem that uh, current flow rates um, that are being demanded are way above what the pre-dam lake was delivering to the river. Would it be fair to think that that outlier data should be reconsidered since that was a window of, again, the wettest period on record recorded for the lake and many, many years have uh, shown other, other trends? Would it, wouldn't it be fair to reconsider that to outlier data?
2: Congressman, thank you so much for the question. And um, I know you've had many, many conversations with our commissioner, Camille Tootin, who does a really wonderful job at the Bureau of Reclamation. And um, that that staff who has worked on the Klamath Basin living, eating, breathing um, this issue, I know that they um, they they have a system that they work off of, and uh, of course, we're always happy to make sure that you you are pri- that you are um, that you have that we can meet with you and convey that information. And to you. And I do you. appreciate that but, that. but the department is so committed to supporting uh, the Klamath Basin communities uh, amid a fourth consecutive year of drought. I know there's been a lot of moisture in California. That doesn't mean that the drought is over. Um, The extreme hydrologic conditions over the last several years has made operations of the climate project extremely challenging. Uh, We're working through those every time. Um, I I am. um, Well, uh,
7: please, um, as time, I'm sorry, but as time uh, narrows down here, um, what we're talking about statistically is a, a short period of time over 100 years ago on really high lake levels, high inflow levels that don't, seem to run on the average here. Let, let me let me take that to another portion of my question then, is that the Bureau insists the historic lake lake level is 4140 or 2.6 feet higher than what the USGS has accepted as the number is 4137.8. So the higher elevations are critical in determining what the water rights are and what's gonna be sent downstream. So again, we have a dispute as to what the lake level was uh, and the data that's that it's being based upon. So would you commit to commissioning a new study by a non-political body to address these current discrepancies we have with BOR and USGS?
2: I am more than happy to take your um, concerns, and we, we know how concerned you are about this issue, back to um, the Bureau of Reclamation. And um, we, are, of course, will we'll be happy to be whatever the committee asks of us, we'll work to respond in a timely manner. well,
7: all right, I appreciate that, and that there was improved water allocation in a really great water year on the lake, but it's still about 50% of what growers should get. And then um, over on the Trinity Lake side, I wanna touch on that as well, is that it was deemed a wet year, yet the lake is only at 37%, while surrounding lakes are about to come to 100%, and they've doubled, more than doubled, the amount of water flowing out of that lake down the river, and it's even starting to flood some people's homes. So I'd, I'd like to forward that information, mm-hmm. or it's, it's threatening to do so. If it goes much higher, it's right at the base of people's homes there, and in that Trinity River so-called restoration project. There's so much water flowing out of that lake, it's gonna ruin uh, their needs for this, this summer, et cetera. So I want to bring more attention to that. So uh, thank you, Mr. Chair, for all I'll just tell you back.
0: Gentleman's time has expired. The chair now recognizes the gentleman from the Northern Marianas. Okay. For five minutes, Mr. sublime
3: thank, thank you very much, uh, Mr. Chairman. Uh, good morning, Madam Secretary, um, your deputy and budget director. Welcome. Good morning. Uh, I Let me start first by commending and recognizing the Biden administration's uh, recognition of insular affairs programs, some of the programs uh, in your administration of the budget for four insular areas. Um, the Energizing Insular uh, Communities Program, which I still think requires a plan. But nonetheless, uh, I recognize that the additional help in technical assistance program as well. And Madam Secretary, the Capital Improvement Project, uh, which started with covenant funding for the Northern Marianas, and uh, particularly, uh, was started at $27.7 million. So 40 years ago and has remained at that number until this year. We're trying to see an increase, a proposed increase of 4 million. Thank you very much. Uh, You know, thank you to the department for listening. Um, Of course, more listening is needed, but thank you anyways. Um, Let me, Madam Secretary, could you please tell us if other departments or agencies uh, will follow your department and start to waive match requirements for the insular areas? Um, At the IGIA meeting in February, um, you announced that OMB has directed uh, all federal departments and agencies to conduct a review of the law to see if there were any authorizing statute that could bar waiving local match requirements for federal grants to the Marianas and other insular areas. Uh, Congress has already waived the local match requirement for amounts below 200,000, but OMB directed federal grantors to work to implement the law's waiver for amounts greater than 200,000, absent an agency specific statute that conflicts. Um, will other federal aid grantors follow Interior's lead of additional waiver?
2: Thank you, Mr. Sablon. And of course, I'm happy to take that message back to the White House. And um, we recognize the importance of reducing the financial burden on these communities and increasing flexibility for the grant funding. Um, for underserved communities. Um, I know it's a relatively small portion of our budget, but it really goes a long way in the communities that these grants serve. So we're happy to, um, to, to.
3: No, thank you for your your effort, your decision also. But, you know, we look forward to seeing the response from the other several agencies and departments. So, um, Madam Secretary, can you give us an update on when Congress can expect to receive the final compacts bilateral agreements? The second round of financial assistance under the Compacts of Free Associations, which govern the relationships between the United States and the Federated States of Micronesia, the uh, Republics of the Marshall Islands, and Palau are coming to an end in 2023 and and next year in 2024. I commend your Department and Office of Insular Affairs for your efforts supporting our Special Envoy Joseph Yoon in achieving signed memorandum of Understandings for three compact countries on the basic levels of compact funding for the next 20 years. However, there isn't much time left before the end of this fiscal year when authorizations for funding to the Marshall Islands and FSM will expire. When will compact agreements, when the compact agreements are transmitted to Congress, will they include the administration's proposed funding sources? We need to prevent a repeat of the Palau compact uh, renewal when, uh, which took seven years to approve again. And because of differences between the administration and Congress uh, funding source, you know, one time we're talking about even passport fees. We, at this time, we need this agreements, you know, approved, signed by Congress, uh, signed and approved by Congress. It's in our interest at this time without going through too much. Can you tell us when we can expect this, please?
2: Um, Thank you so much. I I know how important this is to you, and um, it's also important, very important to us. Assistant Secretary Cantor, who I know you're in touch with, is working closely with Ambassador Yoon, and um, compact negotiations are moving forward um, uh, with the Ambassador and the State Department. Um, They're ongoing. We're making progress with the FSM and Palau. And um, my team has been meeting with FSM in Washington, D.C., to finish these negotiations on some of the subsidiary agreements under the compacts. So what I can tell you is that they're moving forward. We're pleased with the progress, and uh, we're happy to have Assistant Secretary Cantor stay in touch with your office um, as to timing.
3: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much.
0: Uh, You back. Thank you. Gentleman yields back. The chair now recognizes for five minutes the gentleman from Idaho, Mr. Fulcher. Thank you, Mr.
8: Chairman. Madam Secretary, good to see you again. Thank you for being here and and, uh, uh, from my home state of Idaho. It's uh, good to interact with you today. And uh, we've got a lot of challenges on federal lands in my state. And you're certainly uh, invited at your convenience to come pay us a visit sometime. I think that would be... um, I think they'd be very fruitful. It'd be good to show you some things that are uh, true and happening or not happening on the ground, as the case may be. But you made a statement to Congressman Lamborn a few minutes ago that oil production on federal lands is at all-time high. And uh, admittedly, I don't know what metric that might be measuring, but um, that's that's not the perception. I can tell you that that the confidence of the oil companies, at least for any kind of new permits, is probably at an all-time low. And so, but let, let's just assume that what you said is accurate. It's at an all-time high, our, our, and we certainly need it because we're we're growing, and uh, our energy sources are definitely in question. Uh, are you are you committed to keeping it that way?
2: Thank you very much, um, Congressman. We are, of course, we're um, we're following the law, and we're we're committed to moving the applications for permits to drill forward as expeditiously as possible. And we have done that since um, since I've been in this position. So um, we're we have career staff who take their jobs very seriously, and they're moving those forward.
8: So that's that's actually going to be. Um... Uh, that might be surprising to some but that that should be comforting to some if that's in fact the case so I thank you for committing to that on the record and uh, I can tell you with some alternative sources in Idaho and again would love to see you there at some point we've got geothermal we've got hydro we've got nuclear uh, a number of those those uh, uh, permits are in process it does appear that I won't say being flat out ignored, but there's there's just not a lot of focus there. Can I ask you to touch on geothermal, on hydro, nuclear? What is the attitude towards those sources, especially as it comes to on, on federal land?
2: The attitude in our department is that we want to use every tool in the toolbox, and um, we are happy uh, if, if the if geothermal um, company comes to us and wants to, lease and permit something we take that seriously we know that this is an all hands on deck moment for energy transition and certainly using our natural resources uh, will help um, move us away from this terrible climate crisis that we're experiencing it also creates jobs in rural communities which i know um, is the case in your state so um, i'm more than happy to visit uh, please just get in touch with us, and, and, and we're happy to plan a visit. Well, again,
8: that uh, that general message has not been the case. Uh, that we have not received that from other members of of um, uh, the agencies, and so just know that that I appreciate you putting that on the record. Uh, we did pass. I might add uh, what's called the Clean Act as part of HR one. Mm-hmm. That was a bipartisan, a highly supported piece of legislation that that. Um, uh, streamlines geothermal uh, exploration. And so uh, we encourage that to be followed through as we as we move forward with geothermal in particular. That's a great one. I wanna shift gears because I don't have much time left. Lava Ridge Project. I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with the Lava Ridge Energy Project. That's a very large wind project in Idaho. Mm-hmm. And um, it, we're told by, power experts in the region that in order to uh, uh, match the output because it's not baseload powered in order to match the output we'll need to have three to four times the peaking power production to match uh, uh, an equal amount of baseload are you familiar with the leverage project is that something you're supportive of
2: I, uh, I would love to learn more about that project. I know that we are, um, we, we know that we're in a transition and uh, we're all going to work hard to, to get there.
8: That's a, it's a real concern in my district. And I want to just close with a, a statement before I run out of time. The BLM has a proposal, it's a different subject. BLM has a proposal on, on a conservation and health landscape rule. And I can't help but think that the BLM's proposal will result in some further backlogs, if that's adopted, in the management of species and create new bureaucracies and in, uh, in the multiple use system. I believe that the administration should truly be focused on elevating all the forms of energy and not cutting off productive land uses. And I just want to put that on the record and, and share that with you, Madam Secretary. Look forward to seeing you in Idaho. I appreciate that. Thank You'll you, back.
2: Mr. Fuller.
0: Gentlemen, as time has expired, the chair now recognizes the gentlelady from Nevada. Ms. Lee, you're recognized
9: for five minutes. Uh, Thank you, Mr. Chair. Thank you, uh, Ranking Member Grijalva. It's a pleasure to welcome Secretary Holland, uh, especially as a member representing the district, that thanks to your very strong support is now home to America's newest national monument. The the Aviquame National Monument in its 500,000 plus acres is now part of nearly 50 million acres of land that my state, uh, in my state, that's stewarded by BLM. Uh, That's about 70 percent of Nevada all told, and a very full plate for an agency that is lacking a full staff. In December of 2021, the BLM director, Tracy Stone Manning, said that her top priority for the Bureau in 2022 was fixing staff shortages, and you told me that very same thing in the appropriations hearing last year, adding that you were working on ways to expedite hiring for positions that support operations. Obviously, this was welcome news, as local officials in Nevada have emphasized that it can take years for BLM to process some straightforward requests that should instead be taking weeks or months. So can you please uh, detail the progress that the Interior Department is making in fixing these staff shortages, uh, including the success of efforts to expedite hiring where essential uh, in day-to-day operations?
2: Thank you so much, Congresswoman. And and yes, we're very pleased about Aviqua and I was really happy to see you there. Um, and interestingly, um, when I was in the car with Director Stone Manning, we had that very conversation when we were in Nevada about staffing. And of course, you know that staffing went down considerably during the last administration, and it's taken a very long time to um, to move that back up. So um, it has had real impacts on Western communities and on the communities that you serve. We are, um, I mean, all I can say is that we're working hard at it. That is still a priority of Director Stone Manning. Um, it, it is incredibly important that we have uh, the folks on the ground to steward these lands. Um, thankfully for Aviquame, as you know, it will be co-stewarded by um, the tribes in Nevada, and so um, we'll have that um, that help there but um, but certainly um, that's why our budget request is so important Um, that will allow this important work to continue and will continue to make this
9: a priority thank you I appreciate that commitment Uh, I want to turn now to some BLM regulations Uh, the bureau has proposed a new public lands rule for allowing for 10-year conservation leases to designate conservation as a formal use of public lands on par with energy development, grazing, and recreation. This uh, has been characterized as a a seismic shift in lands management. As you know, I'm a committed supporter of conservation, but I'm also committed to reaching another critical goal, which is transitioning to 100% uh, renewable energy by 2035. And I want to be certain that BLM's rulemaking will not end up slowing down the right kind of energy development rate at the precisely the wrong time when we need to be speeding it up. So could you explain how this proposed rule uh, counts for the increasingly urgent need to expedite renewable energy development on federal lands?
2: Thank you, Congresswoman, and we believe very strongly that conservation and clean energy go hand in hand on BLM lands. Um, the, the rule does not intend to slow down any of these projects and, in fact, we are like-minded that we do need to ramp up our clean energy projects. We've had uh, many successful efforts on helping clean energy projects um, identify the right areas. It's it's placing them in the right areas. Um, Uh, Making sure that the stakeholders are at the table early on so that we have consensus going forward that sometimes that will slow down the process when not everyone is on the same page. So um, everything we do is in furtherance of um, of a healthy uh, environment and um, those clean energy projects are are top of mind for us. And um, I can I just will tell you that the role this particular role has no intention of slowing down any um, clean energy projects on BLM lands
9: uh, just one other thing uh, obviously we're looking at some proposed budget cuts could you explain how these would affect uh, BLM's progress in uh, managing federal lands especially in the West
2: so I think BLM was one of the hardest hit um, Bureaus in um, the Department of the Interior during the last administration, hundreds and hundreds of people um, resigned, and it's difficult to staff up that uh, you know those hundreds of years co- of collective experience and knowledge. Um, and so we're working on that. Um, I, I, the budget will help us tremendously in making sure that we can prior- prioritize that with the BLM. Um, I mean, in every way, shape, and form, um, our public lands belong to every single American. And um, we want to, uh, to make careers in, in this public service um, available to uh, as many people as possible. So I can just tell you that we are committed to, um, to that idea. Um, the drought isn't going away. The climate crisis isn't going away anytime soon. Um, it's an all hands on deck moment, and we take that
0: very seriously. Gentlemen, ladies, you. time has expired. The chair now recognizes the gentleman from Utah, Mr. Curtis. You're recognized for five minutes.
10: Thank you, Mr. Chairman, Madam Secretary. Uh, like my colleagues, um, I enjoyed serving with you uh, here and co chairing uh, the Public Lands Subcommittee. Let um, it, it me bring up a difficult issue. Shortly after your appointment, you and I found ourselves on a different side of a very contentious uh, issue in the state. For those of you who are not familiar, it was the Bears Ears land designation. Just quickly, round one of the designation was President Obama de- uh, designated 1.3 million acres of, as a monument. Um, round two was President Trump repealing that designation. Round three, which is where you came in, is uh, President Biden uh, reestablishing uh, those boundaries. Now this may be an oversimplification, but the argument in essence was, we must do this to protect and preserve this area. Uh, We don't trust the state, we don't trust the county, we don't trust the elected officials to do this as they have done it for many, many decades. We have to do it here from Washington, D.C. Today, there is far more looting, far more grave robbing, vandalism in this area. Today, and by the way, I want to preface all of this with your agents, your BLM folks on the ground are amazing. We, 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 we love and appreciate them. I don't want to di- di- diminish them in any way. But not a single penny of resource has been sent their way after this 1.3 million acre designation that the federal government took on as a responsibility to preserve and protect. At the time of the designation, there were two BLM agents, law enforcement agents that patrol that area. Today, I could be wrong, but I think there are two agents managing, imagine, 1.3 million acres. Today, not a single sign has gone up. Not a single fence has gone up. Nothing is any different except for the fact that the monument designation brought the attention to the world of this area, and now they're they're coming, and we don't have the resources to protect this. Your budget, if I read it correctly, has $3 million for every single brand-new designation across the country. How in the world does the federal government Proposed to do what it said it was going to do when it made this a monument designation and took the stewardship away from the local people.
2: Congressman, thank you very much for the question. And um, you're absolutely right. We, we, um, as we've been discussing, there is a shortage of staff, uh, particularly. But it's not staff; it's budget.
10: Like you don't even have the budget if you had the staff.
2: We, we, I, and this is
10: pre budget, this is not counting any budget cuts or anything. This is like the federal government made a decision several years ago to, to designate this as a 1.3 million acre monument to preserve it and has not even tried to put resources in to do that. And, and the, the argument on the ground is by the way, we're doing that quite well as, as local and state uh, government. We feel like we preserved and protect that area in a magnificent way. And now the federal government's taking it over without adding any resources. How do we how do we justify that? How do I go back to these people and say the people who thought they knew better than you, who thought they were better stewards than you, have ignored you and have not done anything in this area?
2: I absolutely uh, appreciate your comments, uh, Mr. Curtis. I will absolutely take those to heart and have uh, discussions with my staff at the department. I understand your concerns and they're my concerns as well. well I
10: know you well enough to, to take that quite sincerely. I want you to know I, I, that means a lot to me that you would make that commitment. And I think we as lawmakers and policymakers need to understand it's not as easy as waving a wand and protecting all of this area because we've designated it. We've got a, that, that comes with a tremendous responsibility. We're taking that responsibility away from the state and we're going to take that. And I think when we make these decisions, we've got to go, like, we've got to step up for that, right, if we really want to preserve and protect this area in a way that it was different than before. So thank you for your commitment. We'll take you up on that. Let me switch gears just quickly. Uh, Almost 20 years after the passage of the Energy Policy Act of 2005, it's Title V on Indian Energy We still do not have enough petroleum engineers, geologists, and staff within the Bureau of Indian Affairs to support development of Indian energy resources. As you know, I have five tribes in my area, particularly the Utes and the Navajos. These are not gaming tribes. They rely on natural resources. What steps can we take in Interior to bring more energy experts into the Bureau of Indian Affairs?
2: i appreciate that comment as well and i take it to heart mr curtis we we will I'll take that back. We'll have a discussion on it. Right. It will be Would
10: would love to look with your team on, on my tribes and, and be an asset and and, and uh, help them um, because as you well know uh, it's a, a difficult lot moving forward in many of these cases and I would love to team with you on that and thank you for
0: coming uh, to the absolutely
2: here. and thank you as well for caring about the tribes in your state and we'll we'll absolutely be in touch. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks,
0: Madam Secretary. I yield back. Gentleman yields back. The chair recognizes the gentlelady from Michigan. Ms. Dingle. you recognize recognized for five minutes.
11: Thank you, Mr. Chairman. And like everyone else, it's great to see you, Madam Secretary. Um, Secretary, one of my top priorities ins- is ensuring that as a country, we have the capacity to reach our full potential when it comes to building out electric vehicles and the charging infrastructure which means we have to strengthen our domestic supply chains for critical minerals from mining and processing to recycling. We also know that our current mining law, which has not been meaningfully updated in 150 years, tips the scales towards mining companies and away from communities who need to have a fair say in the decision making if we're going to build a strong, enduring mining industry in the United States. Madam Secretary, what initiatives is the Department of Interior taking to ensure we have a strong, safe, environmentally sound mining industry to buttress our domestic supply chains for ED development and employment to meet our clean energy goals? Thank you very much,
2: Congresswoman. And I'm very pleased to have sitting next to me uh, our Deputy Secretary, Tommy Baudreau, who is the chair of the Interagency Work Group on Mining Reform. And if it's okay, I would love for him to um, answer this question in detail.
5: Thanks very much, uh, Secretary Holland. Uh For all the reasons you said, this is one of the highest priorities in the administration. I met with the White House about it just last week. Um, we do have a substantial challenge in front of us uh, under the General Mining Law of 1872. Uh, suffice it to say, uh, the policy priorities of the Grant administration are not necessarily the same as uh, the challenges we face today. Uh, And so there is room to partner with Congress on addressing that. One of the reasons why we've been as successful as we have been with uh, renewable energy is the ability to do uh, leasing and deconfliction. Uh, And so, having that type of authority in the department, I think, would accelerate our ability to uh, develop domestically reliably sourced uh, materials to help uh, the clean energy economy. And so, look forward to working with you on all of that.
11: So, I was going to ask you if there are any updates from the interagency working group on mining law reform, but that would, I I would, I think many of us here, all of us here, want to work together on this issue uh, and on the permitting. But, and I do think we need to. We made an announcement last week that I have concerns on, quite frankly, and we're not going to get there without really addressing this issue, so I want to say that. But I'm also concerned about how the Republicans' proposed budget could hurt the progress that the departments made in terms of advancing our goals to develop these mineral supply chains. Could one of you comment on that?
5: Again. Uh, The resources issues across all of our responsibilities, I think are uh, critical to being able to meet the moment, as the secretary said, on all of the challenges facing uh, the United States uh, relative to public lands. Uh, And that includes permitting. Uh, We are doing the best that we can with the resources we have, shifting people around, uh, providing guidance and priority, Uh, but uh, To be in the setting and talk about uh, the need to do better and do more, uh, while at the same time talking about uh, resource cuts is a uh, incongruity that um, that I think is obvious.
11: Well, let's stay on permitting, which is another subject I felt very strongly on and really do want to work with the Chair and others on. Uh, In the Inflation Reduction Act, we provided the Department of the Interior with $150 million to increase staffing capacity and resources for permitting activities. Either one of you, how will these resources help advance effective and efficient permitting on an accelerated timeline?
2: Thank you very much, Congresswoman. And um, in concert with existing authorities, these resources will increase capacity, and improve efficiencies for environmental planning and consultation. Uh, The goal is to better support the implementation of the infrastructure investments now underway. Um, Our budget proposal would apply to all applicable federal agencies government-wide and would expand the authority for federal agencies to transfer bill funding to the Fish and Wildlife Service to accelerate and improve environmental reviews for infrastructure
11: projects and energy solutions. I'm get one more question in on that. Due to recon- reconciliation rules, we couldn't adequately inf- fund the ESA consultation and related permitting activities in the RA. The administration's budget request includes a legislative proposal to provide additional resources for the e- e- C- ESA consultation. Can you tell this committee why these resources are needed for the ESA-related permitting, which the goal we all have? to make it faster. Thank you. Thank you, Congresswoman. And we're
2: happy to talk more about this with you, with your office. In addition to the increase. We in all need to hear it. For the ESA planning and consultation work, the budget also proposes to expand authority for federal agencies to transfer funds provided under the bill to the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and NOAA Fisheries.